Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Dear Doc Podcast. And um, we are being live cast right now on the Business of Dentistry Facebook group. Uh, I want to thank our guest today who probably needs no introduction, but will get one anyway. Uh, Arun Garg is one of the original gangsters whenever it comes to education of dentists, particularly in, in, in the advanced surgical techniques that, that many of us use today. Uh, I have learned a ton from him myself, and I, I can't imagine uh, going another year and, and not learning more from him because he's always got something new that he's, he's bringing to us. And uh, I just, I want to, I want to take the time to personally say thank you both as an educator and as my friend. So Arun, how are you doing today, my friend? Well, as under the circumstances, I'm doing great is, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's with that, with, with that qualified under the circumstances. Probably the most honest answer that you could give uh, in, in, in this day. But um, I asked you here because I know that you personally have been, um, I hate to say coaching because that's not really what you're doing. You're just visiting with people and helping them out and, and helping them to get through these times and advising them on everything from patient processing to uh, personal protective equipment to just strategies business-wise coming out of all of this. And it, you, you said yourself, you don't claim to be any kind of expert in you know, restarting your practice after COVID. Good God, anyone who does that is a moron because nothing like this has ever happened before. But you've been through a few of these. I mean, you've been through the AIDS crisis. You've been through several recessions. And I just thought that you had a, a, beautiful, a, a beautiful consolidation of knowledge that is just really going to help a lot of people today. And so I asked you to come on and just, just talk with us. And, and so without further ado, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to let you give yourself the introduction that I know you don't need. Um, tell everyone who you are and what you do and uh, what your qualifications are to speak on this subject. All right. You know, I won't uh, is uh, bother with the introduction and such, but I'll tell you what happened is, is once I uh, graduate, I went from University of Florida. I went down to Jackson Memorial Hospital to do my residency. And uh, when I was a resident, that's when the whole AIDS thing came out. And yes, I've been around that long. Is I know, I know I look a little young to have been around that long, but I have. And the whole AIDS thing. And at that time, we didn't know. I mean, we didn't know how does how do infections happen. I mean, today we know it's blood-borne or semen-borne or, or saliva-borne. But at that time, we didn't know. Can you catch it from a sneeze? Can you catch it from someone touching you? And, um, and Jackson Memorial Hospital being the third busiest hospital in the country is, um, and be Miami, we got a lot of folks is, uh, that is, were potentially infected. And, um, and we're, you know, ourselves, the faculty and the residents, how do we deal with this? And, uh, and we got through it and we came up with strategies. Um, and at that time there was a thing like, let's open a separate clinic and put, you know, the HIV folks in that separate clinic. Um, and then it became declared in the U.S. a recognized handicap. So you couldn't, uh, you know, discriminate based on a handicap. Right. And so, um, like, you can't take people in a wheelchair or, you know, people who are deaf or and put them in a separate clinic. So they had to be seen, seen in the same clinic. And, um, and so, okay, well, that idea, I guess that went out the window. And so we initially tried that, separate clinic for them, you know. Right. And um, and then we said, okay, then the same clinic, same waiting room. We're going to have to upregulate everything for everybody. 
is, and we did, and, uh, and, and survived. And it was scary back then. Sometimes a resident, they'd get an accidental needle stick, and then uh, you don't know if the patient's HIV positive or, or full-blown AIDS or what um, necessarily, and you'd have to ask them, and what if they didn't tell you the truth? And um, you can't just draw blood on them, even in the hospital environment, to test them. You'd have to get their permission. And so we'd have to get permission from them, and sometimes they would give it, and sometimes they wouldn't. And if they wouldn't, it was, and I remember residents is, uh, fortunately, I didn't get stuck like that, but I remember several residents I got stuck and is the recommendation back then was, you know, is um, then you can't, uh, you got to use, you know, prophylaxis with your partner for one year. You know, you got to do this, you got to do that. And, um, you know, residents are, are young, they're in their twenties and you're like, what? I can't do what for a year is um, so, and we got through that. And then of course, as you said, is, um, is economies have gone up and down and, and such. Um, and then most recently I've been in private practice. I left the university environment after 20 years there and I've been in private practice. And so now I've got to think about not just those types of things, but now also financial issues, because at least at the university, I was protected financially. I got my paycheck, boom, 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 boom. Um, like the folks right now, you know, there are folks who are getting a regular paycheck, um, not in the dental field, but you know, in other fields Mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, people you see on the chat rooms, they go, the government workers, they're getting a regular paycheck. Yes, they are. And as a university professor, it's getting a regular paycheck. And um, so there's a lot of folks who financially has not impacted actually, maybe. And uh, it's been now in private practice. So I've dealt with that as well. And um, yeah, there's, there's a point you make there that I think is very um, poignant. And maybe some people aren't catching. When you have a shared reality with someone, there's understanding. You know, if you were another dentist who's been affected by this, you automatically have a shared reality. You already, you already have an understanding, uh, some, some, something that links you to another dentist who's done this. But in, in a very real way, anybody who is not being affected in that same way with a business shutdown or what have you, they don't share our reality. And so the hardships that we have are not immediately evident to them. Absolutely. I don't know if I'm making that point clearly enough, but I think that's kind of one of the things that you were bringing out there. Yes. Yeah. Is, uh, and, and even in dentistry. And what I did is um, I jotted down, I just thought about, because, you know, during all this time is I've been talking and chatting with colleagues and friends and alumni from my courses and such. And um, what I realized quickly is that every single person I talked to, their situation is completely unique, even though we have the shared reality, but they're still completely unique. And I said, well, okay, 100,000 different uh, realities, but let's group six different people. Oh, okay, and I'll give you two extreme examples just right off the bat. Is that, you know, Andy, okay? Andy is um, probably in his uh, late 60s or early 70s. Mm-hmm. Is that Andy was Affordable Dentures franchisee. And that franchise, you, you normally get about a million dollars a year gross revenue, but he was the top producer in the country is for them and he was producing 4 million a year. Mm-hmm. And Andy had scheduled to sell it to corporate, like when McDonald's franchisees sells to corporate. And this is real story, is that Andy had scheduled back in September, October, okay? And they closed on it in about the end of January. Mm-hmm. Now, the party didn't say, and I didn't need to ask, is how much he got for it. But as you and I know, usually it's about 60% of annual gross, maybe 100% of annual gross from corporate, so maybe 2.4 million to 4 million, someone in there, let's say three, three and a half million dollars. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if he just got a lump sum of cash, three, three and a half million dollars, and he's late sixties, 
early 70s, has been earning his entire career. And he was there for the golden years of dentistry. So he's got savings and stocks and houses. He flies his own plane. He's got planes. He's got cars. Um, he's got one child, a daughter. And she's- I don't think Andy's going back. <laughs> yeah. And so, so his reality, even though he's in dentistry, might not be the same as me and you or someone exactly. else. So um, he's got one daughter. She's very successful, is employed, is married. The husband's employed. They don't need money. They don't need college money from her, from him. Um, so I told him, I said, hey, you basically, you got two choices, okay? Either you just say, hey, I'm going to go fly around my plane. Okay, I'm going golfing. I'm going fishing. And, uh, and that's it. Or what you do is right now, because what's probably going to happen is there's going to be other extreme folks that didn't have the money he had and have right. to give up their practice. And we'll talk about those. And those practices will probably sell for pennies on the dollar. And at least, if not pennies on the dollar, 25%, 30% less than what they were in January. So you can take your three and a half million you got from this practice and probably another three and a half million you got saved from before or four million mm -hmm. or 10 million and, uh, and go in a super practice for half a million. And you got the clinical skills and the mindset, and the business mindset to grow it back up for as many years as you want to and then get an associate in there. Okay, so his reality is different, even though he's in the same field. And so then I'm going I'm mm -hmm. I'm to ask you before we go on to an, an, one, another person that you've been talking to. Um, what is your feeling about what percentage of dentists are going to close business after this? I hate to say it because it's so depressing to talk about. But um, I mean, as you and I know, it's not going to be zero percent. Right. Because, I mean, I know one or two examples, you know, I mean, I, I'll share one of them with you is, um, was a dental assistant. Okay. Is, um, and, and if anyone thinks I'm referring to them, I'm not. Okay. It's, it's kind of not a person, it's an amalgamation of several people. So if someone says, Hey, he's talking about me. No, I'm, I'm not. All right. In Andy's case, I was talking about Andy, but this, I'm not talking right. about Andy. But, um, was a dental assistant for many years. And so went back to dental school later in life. All right. And so, now later in life is a graduate and then spends eight years in the US Army. Great service mm -hmm. for, you know, is our country. Leaves there and just starts a private practice six months ago. Okay. Oh, so damn. now <laughs> maybe not the same age as Andy, but you know, is 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 not 20, not in the 20s. Okay. Has teenage kids, teenage kids, okay, is the sole breadwinner of the family. Okay and built a gorgeous office with all the accoutrements, with CAT scanners and CEDIC machines and Millennium lasers and, 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 okay? So probably over a million dollars in debt and uh, open in open January. And so zero patients, okay? And this debt uh, and teenage kids and the sole breadwinner of the family is, um, and it's a complete different situation. Mm -hmm. than, and the advice I would give there is, you know, it's gonna, is if your debt service was 10 years before going into this, now it's going to turn into 20 years. I mean, you'll be paying debt on this practice in your retirement years. Absolutely. And you're going to be stressed the whole time. So my advice would be is, I mean, it, it kind of sucks for the people that you got the loans from, but, you know, declare the bankruptcy and walk away from that million dollars. Absolutely. Okay. Well, and, and I th think that's a very reasonable thing to do. Yeah. I think we're going to find that, um, there are going to be a lot more bankruptcies amongst dentists in this time. I mean, even the best of us who, uh, you know, we save three or four months worth of operating costs and worth of personal costs, this hurts. 
But this, I'm, I myself, I always stay three months. Yeah, but this is three or four months right here. I mean, you right. say three months. Exactly. And this darn thing is, if it extends on three and a half months, even a three month guy is, yeah. No, again, and who the heck stays for six months or 12 months? There are people out there like that, but not many. Absolutely. But you make a very good point that this is going to be an opportunity um, for anyone who, um, and folks, uh, I, I'd like to apologize. Um, we have a couple of people who are popping in and out because um, we're using Dr. Gorg's uh, Zoom. So uh, they were jumping in so that they can watch and listen to the interview. Some of them have their video on. We're, we're just turning them off as they pop up on the camera. Okay. So I, I think that anybody who is business-minded and you and I have spoken at length, you, you know the way that I think, at least, at least I think you have a pretty good idea of, of where I come from. I see this as an amazing opportunity like one that I've never seen before in my lifetime. But I would also caution people to move carefully because we don't know when it's going to end. So we all hope it's going to end soon, but most of us hoped it was going to end a month ago. You know? So what are your, what are your thoughts on that? And what are, what are your thoughts going forward as just a business person um, during this quarantine period and after, and what do you foresee? You know, what happens is, um, is let me give you two analogies, you know, okay? You know, let's suppose we start at December, January, where, you know, not many folks uh, were paying attention to any of this in the, in the US at least. And we're setting goals, you know, like a lot of us set goals, New Year's uh, resolutions, we're setting a goal, uh, financial goals and health goals and personal goals and spiritual goals. And we're setting those for the year. And uh, we said, well, you know, I'd like to grow the business 7% this year, 4% this year, 12% or 30%, whatever your numbers are. And you set these goals and I'd like to introduce um, this X and Y procedure. I'd like to introduce is this team member. I'd like to introduce this build out is whatever your goals are. Okay. And that's great. All right. Is the folks that got on the Titanic, they had goals. They had goals. I'm going to get to New York. I'm going to go have a nice dinner there. Okay. I'm going to maybe visit is, uh, New York for a year. Okay, someone is training for the Olympics. They got goals. I'm gonna mm -hmm. watch my calories. I'm gonna exercise six hours a day. I'm gonna have no fat or I'm gonna have fat or whatever is, uh, and I'm gonna get that gold medal, silver medal, all right? And the same, we had goals. And all of a sudden that Titanic, it hits that iceberg and all those goals for that nice dinner should go out the window. Absolutely. That athlete that's going to the Olympics, he gets hit in a car accident. All those goals about his weight and about his exercise number of hours and his regiment and getting it should go out the window okay yep. and now all of a sudden this hits it's like that it's like the titanic it's like the car accident those goals of mine they're out the window okay the only thing that they're focusing on at that time on the titanic is survival the only absolutely in that emergency room that athlete should be focusing on is survival right and the yeah. only thing i want to focus on right now is survival the, the thing, How do I get the thing this? is I, I was I was talking to a really smart friend of mine a couple of days ago, and you know what he said? He said that the very things that make a dentist a great dentist are what's going to make them suffer through this. I think that might have been someone right here. So tell us, tell us what you meant by that. Is um, no, was that me? I was. I don't think it was. It me. was. You, you told you we were we were chatting, and you said, um, you know, the thing is, is dentists are meticulous. Dentists are long-term planners. Dentists are careful. 
and they want to make sure they're doing it exactly the right way. And that makes them amazing clinicians. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing right now, but I, I just, I thought it was so much wisdom in just one sentence. And you're kind of, you're kind of saying that now, but the background of that is it's true. What makes us careful, good clinicians is also what is going to keep us from making the rapid fire decisions that we need to make as the situation changes. Well, that's what happens is, um, is, you know, otherwise it's strategic thinking, long-term planning and, you know, et cetera. And now it's tactical. Okay. It's got to be thinking about survival. Okay. How do I stay alive in this emergency room? No. Okay. Is uh, that's what we got to think about. Okay. How do I stay alive for the next six weeks or eight weeks is uh, because no matter how much you cut your expenses, is there still some expenses we got to pay? I got to pay for the internet signal so you and I can chat. Mm -hmm. I got to pay for Netflix. so I don't go crazy is um, I don't think the electricity people are going to cut me off. Okay. At a time mm -hmm. like this, I don't think the city is going to cut me off if I miss a couple of bills. So, you know, I'm just not paying those. Okay. I don't think the city is going to send people out under COVID to cut off my water. So I'm not paying that is um, I call the credit card companies because I'm sure they'll cut me off, but I got other credit cards to use. But just to be polite, I called every single one of them and said, hey, can you defer payments for 60 days? Okay, and they said yes. And, um, so is, I called landlords and uh, some of the buildings I own, some of the ones I don't own, I called landlords. And um, as I think the law was passed, no one could be evicted for 60 days, but I went with communication lines open. So I called them and said, can I defer his rent for 60 days? And all of them for me did say yes. I know some people posted on social media, they had really lousy landlords that didn't say yes, but for me, they all said yes. And so um, is I said, okay, how do I get through this? How do I survive? Okay, this has got to be tactical. And survival really means is you got to preserve the, your cash. Okay, because no matter what, there's still going to be outgoing cash and there's zero co incoming cash, right? And, and there was some glimmer of hope, you know, is government monies and this and that, et cetera, glimmer of hope is, um, but realistically, we all knew that that wasn't going to amount to a hill of beans. And, um, right. you know, it's almost funny to me when people- <laughs> you, you have as much faith in the government as I do. Yeah. And, and realistically, you know, is um, people talk about the government giving me money. I'm like, well, the government's not giving me money. They give me a, a fraction back of what I gave them, okay, last <laughs> April 15. <laughs> so Absolutely. they're not giving me money. If I gave them this much, they'd give me a teeny bit of a back, okay, of my own money. Um, and, and, and we're all seeing that, you know, the- yeah, EIDL at a maximum cap, it was $10,000 supposed to be for every office. Then they changed it to 1,000 per employee. And you were going to get it within three days. You remember three that? Days, three yeah. days. Now it's three weeks and it's 1,000 per employee. About half the practices have gotten it. But when you got three, four employees in the office, you get three, $4,000 and used to collecting 50,000 a month. It's a fraction of what your normal collections are. Still good. I mean, better than nothing. Is that people applied for the PPP and some people are starting to get that. Okay, probably not half, maybe 10% of dentists have gotten that. Um, right. But right now, they think that part of it uh, would be a grant that they would not have to pay back. Part of it, they will have to pay back. Um, but that's something to change. I mean, you know, was, we may have to pay all of it back. It just more, well, but it still allows us to survive through this. You know, we're still able to, to get through this. And so you get folks like dental offices that have no income coming in. Um, mm -hmm which is majority is dental offices, restaurants, bars, you know, bartenders, uh, restaurant employees is, uh, you know, all these small businesses and all their employees and such have no income. And um, is you've got folks who make the same income as we talked about university professors. They're still getting Absolutely. a salary. Um, is government employees. They're still getting a salary. 
is, um, is and a very, very small fraction actually making more, you know? Is the toilet paper companies, they're making more, okay? Is the mask companies, they're making more. Is uh, so very, very small fraction is uh, in three weeks or four weeks, probably the divorce attorneys will make more. Is <laughs> so there'll be a small subset that will actually make. I don't, I don't know if I have to spend any more time at home with my kids during this thing. Um, I, I might have to say I might need defense on a murder rap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not so, planning on so, killing my children. For those maybe, of you who are, maybe therapists will make more. At, 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 at right. <laughs> the majority. The majority are going through all of this together. You know, there's a very, very small percentage that are doing better, uh, small percentage that are doing the same, but uh, most of us are. Um, so everyone, let's, let's speak to a little bit on the historical perspective of this. You know, we have had um, diseases. Um, I comes to mind, SARS was a pretty minor one. Uh, we've had pandemic flus. We've had the AIDS epidemic. I think that's pretty much the closest thing we've had to this simply because of the amount of misinformation that was out there uh, and the amount of panic. I, I, I can't really remember any other ones other than um, Marburg and Ebola that have elicited this type of visceral emotional response in people. And we've had pretty dramatic downturns, particularly 2001, 2008, um, 1969 was another light little doozy there. Um, and we've had natural disasters like, you know, we've had earthquakes and volcanoes, but we've never had all this shit happen at one time. <laughs> and that's what we're having right now. So what is your, what is your historical perspective on the behaviors of um, patients, the behaviors of dentists, business owners? Um, what types of things would you say, look for this as an opportunity? What types of things would you say, Hey, I caution you because you know I stepped in this back in 2001 or whenever, and I, I'd, I'd say don't don't go there. So I'm, I'm just going to open you up to to kind of exploring those thoughts. Well, the one thing is what you got to do is um, preserve cash. Okay, I mean we just talked about that, but you got to preserve whatever cash you got. Is uh, slow down how fast it's going out because, like I say, it's going to keep going out, and we don't know when it's going to start coming back in. You know, is even if we're allowed from whether government regulations or cells to do beyond just emergency care. And, and we are still allowed, most states are still allowed emergency care. So it's not like offices shut down completely. I mean, I know that's what we talk about on social media, shut down completely, but you know, is I don't think people are sitting home every single day, all day long between their thumbs, unlike restaurant owners, unlike bartenders who might be, you know, is between the thumbs is, uh, but, but um, I, my sense has been that probably about half the dentists are at least seeing emergencies. Okay, half maybe just be sitting home doing nothing, but half are probably still seeing emergencies. Um, but that doesn't pay a lot of bills. I mean, those aren't the high revenue things. And so it still means revenue is down. But let's suppose we're allowed to do elective procedures, allowed to do veneers, allowed to do you know implants and these kinds of things um, in the next several weeks, you know, whatever date it is. Um, who's to say the patients are gonna come in? Right, and then who's to say is um, that they will have the money or the desire to, to spend it? Okay, Absolutely. so maybe we need to be strategic about that and say, you know what, is um, is May, June, and July we'll do a you know post-COVID recovery pricing. Okay, and that's not is saying anything about our worth or that I you know went to school or I deserve more. 
but it just showing my human side. Like, look, man, I know what you're going through. Okay. And so I know what you're going through and you know what? I want to help you out. I can't do it for free because I got to make a living too. I got to cover my overhead. I got to pay my staff, but you know what is for these three months, we're going to have a lower fee. Okay. We're going to help the community out. Okay. We're all in this together. Is, um, so is there strategies that we can do like that? Okay. To get folks in is, um, and it helps grow our business and it helps us help our community out. Right. And the different thing here is that when other things happen, you know, hurricane comes to Miami. Okay. And when it comes, it wipes out things, but it only affected folks in Miami. And so folks in Miami, they lose their incomes, they lose their jobs, and you know, they're down financially, but the rest of the country says, Oh, we're doing great. Tornado comes, you know, the what it affects them, but not the rest of the country. Snowstorm comes to New York, affects them, but not the rest of the country. But in a way, this is a great equalizer is everybody is affected to the same amount, except for the outliers. We said there's a couple of categories that are doing okay and doing better, but the majority of the population, it's a great equalizer. So if everybody is down an equal amount, is we're all kind of in the same boat. We come out of this, we're kind of in the same boat as everyone else. And so in that regard, it's actually not so bad. You know, they say, well, I just got a 20% pay cut, but so did he, and so did he, and so did he, and so did, he, and so did, he, so did everybody. We're all kind of in the same situation. And so my revenue is down, but then is the price of an airline ticket is lower for me. The price of a restaurant is lower for me. The price of the gardener is lower for me. The price of everything is lower for me. So my lifestyle goes back to the same. My incomes, you see, when you look at is, you know, when you look at the value of money in different countries, people can have similar lifestyles, even though money is worth less but then they have to spend less also. So I think in a way it just kind of devalues things in that regard is I'm making 20% less, but I'm spending 20% less on a lot of things. Not everything, obviously, you know, your mortgage doesn't go down by 20%. It's going to stay the right. same. Okay. But a lot of things will stay that is will go down proportionately. So as far as lifestyle, I think we're going to come out of it is um, similar lifestyle. Okay. Even though, if you look at the bank number, it may seem lower. You know, if you look at your production numbers, it may look lower. Mm -hmm. okay and you go well the, the value of my office is less my uh, value of my house on paper is less i know but if you sold it you could buy another house for less also so it's still going to be equal exchange you know this is one of the most positive messages i've heard from anybody who um who, who's been out there talking about how to recover we we, we kind of joked on air before we before we started on the live that um and it's interesting how many experts there are on recovering your practice from the COVID quarantine when it's never happened before. It's uh, very impressive that so many people became such scholars in such short amount of time. Uh, I, I think this is the first time I've heard just a very positive, mes uh, positive message about um, nullification and, and normalization of the effects. And, and you, you make a, a very strong point there, I think, and I think one that needs to be made. And we have a couple of questions here. Uh, someone says, won't insurance give us hell if we lower our fees? Um, another one says, um, Arun, what about PPE that is so expensive now? And that, that's from uh, your neighbor, uh, Tatiana Herzog, by the way. Those are great questions. Those are great questions. Okay, let's delve into that now, okay? And, um, is, and we can do them what, you know, we can do them what, I guess one at a time. So let's talk about the insurance as part of it. 
okay? Um, for those that were there at the beginning, we talked about two different types of practices. We talked about Andy, $4 million a year. He's been working, he's is uh, late 60s and they're working for years. And for him, having extra expense of, uh, 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 as far as insurance, he's, he has a lot of options. He could do his next office, non-insurance. Okay, he could do complete fee-for-service. It may take longer to build up patient volume because you have to spend more on marketing. He can't automatically just enroll in insurance plans, enroll in Delta Dental, and all of a sudden he's got some patients. But he's able to afford that. He's able to ride that out. And uh, so he's got that option, go fee-for-service. Okay, he doesn't have to worry about uh, his lowering fees or high fees. Um, but if you say, well, I'm not that guy, I'm not the one that is uh, going to go bankrupt, but I'm kind of, you know, a normal, let's say, you know, rich. Okay. And he's got normal PPO practice four days a week. And, um, as normal staff, he's seeing the number of patients you got to see in kind of a PPO practice, which is a fair number. And I uh, got to turn them around and the margins that you have, the profit margins got there. And what does he do about the insurance fees? But when you lower your fees, is um, as far as the insurance, they don't give you heck about lowering your fees if you're doing across the board and fair to everyone is my understanding. I don't have an insurance-based practice, fee-for-service, but my right. understanding is if you lowered it for different people, then they give you heck. But if you say, we are now dropping them this much across the board to everybody, okay, then you're dropping them. Just like when you raise your fees by $5 or drop them by $5 as long as it's fair to everybody, okay? They say you can't pick and choose and say it's this fee for insurance patients, this fee for, fee right. for service patients. You gotta drop it for everybody, okay? And, and having, so having, come from a P, yes. having come from a PPO background, what I can tell you on that, as I'm now out of network and have been for a few years now, is that if you want to discount the price, what Aaron is saying is you discount for everybody, period. But if you give them vouchers, that are coupons that they turn in, there is a legal loophole there so that you can, you can use that. And, you know, if you got the pain in the ass patient that you don't want to give one of those coupons to, that's just fine. Yeah. So there's definitely loopholes, but if we're dropping it for three months and say we're doing a special to help out our neighbors is, uh, so is again, that's not, is my forte PPO, but my understanding is that would not uh, be an issue at all. Um, as far as the increased cost of PPE, um, I think right now we're having a knee-jerk reaction about how much PPE we're going to need. Is long-term there may or may not be an increased cost of PPE. Okay, um, is you know we think about is PPE is if you're wearing a gown anyway, you're going to be wearing a gown. You're wearing a surgeon's mask anyway, you're going to be wearing a surgeon's mask. Okay, right now there's a lot of talk of the N95 mask, but uh, that may not become the standard. No, okay? mm -hmm. using N95 mask is one per patient, you know, right now $6 a piece is uh, per patient. Um, right. And so is, don't be surprised, right now it is, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna N95 and a surgeon's mask over it, okay? And a respirator to breathe, okay? But that may not become a standard. A face mask, a lot of folks use face shields anyway. You know, in my Aventura office, Dr. Rezakani, she's been using a face shield for years. What extra cost is there to her? Nothing. Is, um, so I think is the increased cost may turn into negligible and i think it may turn into things like um is and i've already ordered these as we got the intraoral suction and it's getting everything that is right there where you're and you might have two you got a saliva ejector for the saliva you got an intro uh for right where you're operating doing your surgery or doing your tooth prep right there but the stuff that's come out so an extra oral so now instead of two we got three 
slide ejector, intraoral right there where you're prepping the tooth, and an extra oral here. Right. I ordered them for every office. Okay. As um, and so I just kind of jumped on that, and I figure even if the help it does is not a hundred percent, if it's ninety percent or eighty percent, um, mm -hmm. from a marketing perspective to my patients, uh, to my staff, and why do I need those aerosols? Uh, air filter system, we've always had them in all the practices. Anyone that's been to our office or our courses, our life patient facility in Dominican Republic, we've always had the air filtration systems and they're inexpensive. Mm -hmm. And so is I don't think we're thinking about a lot of per person costs. So the air filtration system we have for years, not because of COVID, because we want to clean our air for ourselves and our staff and our patients. Right. And now, you know, maybe the benefit is, wow, we're going to breathe cleaner, cleaner air all day long is, um, is from it. I I, I tend to agree. I, I think that um, in all honesty, if you look at the filtration of level two, level three mask, it's the same as in, in 95. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to become standard, uh, particularly since the N95 is not a good face fit anyway. Now, coming from an industry long ago where we had to have fit tests and banana oil to make sure our masks weren't leaking because we're working in toxic substances, uh, it's simply, it, it's a halfway mark that really isn't terribly effective. I, what I envision is probably whole hair, whole uh, office air cleaners, uh, perhaps some intra, intravent or intraductal um, UV lamps to just in, increase the sterilization of the air that's flowing. Um, maybe the extra oral suction. I'm, honestly, I think probably a lot of people who have isolites or Kona adapters, they're going to be proven to be just as effective or more so. I, but it, it's understandable to react like that to the unknown. Unfortunately, there's so much hysteria right now that um, no one knows quite which way to, of course, to jump. Right. So we have two more questions here, everyone, um, and one does deal slightly with PPE, kind of in an offshoot fashion. Right. Uh, many patients will lose their insurance, so expect to have less, less patients. And that is something that has been discussed as people cutting benefits so that they can recoup some of the losses. Another one says, I think most of us will be increasing fees commensurate with uh, what most others experience in their area and with inflation, mostly due to PPE. So I think we've probably covered that with the PPE. Well, um, we would you like to talk that. a little bit? Okay, go ahead. Well, again, is, uh, one says uh, folks losing is uh, insurance things. And, um, and for the person that's an insurance-based practice, that's scary. Because if you say, well, 10% of my patients can't come back or 20% or, or God forbid, 50% can't come back. Um, but it may turn out to be a blessing in disguise, you know? Yeah, what if an opportunity. Is, yes. Set up an in-house uh, finance plan or an in-house uh, in savings plan, please. Okay. Guys, it's fantastic. You can't call it insurance because an insurance right. industry is such a regulated, but it's in essence, your own insurance plan, you know, the Dr. Bob Smith insurance plan. You can't call it insurance plan. So it's called in-house savings plan, but now, instead of they pay premiums, the insurance company keeps 90%, passes 10% to you. Right. They pay the premiums, you keep all of it. Okay. I, love, I, I love savings plans. I think they're amazing. It, is a, so, it may turn into a blessing, although it's scary, of course. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Ben Villa has an absolutely fantastic question. Um, and I'm going to actually tag one of my own onto it. He says, from a traffic perspective, how do you intend to manage hygiene? And I'm going to say, from a from a patient entrance perspective, what changes do you see occurring? Do you see um, COVID testing chair side to allow patients to come in and actually be treated? 
Uh, do you see people not being allowed to be treated if they have only one of the antibodies? They don't have, they don't have IgG and IgM. Um, or are you expecting people who don't test positive for either antibody to be turned away because of dangers of getting them infected? What are your thoughts on this? I think is, um, well, those are two separate questions. One about the dangers yes. and one about the, is, you know, hygiene flow is um, hygiene flow will become interesting because is they don't have a minute to spare. Okay. I mean, they're no. turning the room, boom, 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 boom. And the other one's creating all the aerosols or most of the aerosols and whether that's a legitimate is thing or not. Okay. I mean, long-term, if this thing fizzles out, et cetera, whether it's legitimate or not, the perception might be, okay. Right. And so you'll have to have time in between is now there's two ways to do it. You do time in between instead of one hour appointments, you make one and a half hour appointments. Well, you got 33% less appointments in a day. No, okay. It is less of a profit center for you if it was a profit center for you. No, okay. Is um, what we have done in most of our practices, even prior to this, no, okay, is each hygienist had two rooms. And so she would alternate rooms. And we did it not because of COVID and such. We did it because instead of having a hygienist clean up and set up her own room, we had an assistant for the hygienist. And so because assistant costs us less, much less. And so that person's Absolutely. time was being used for room setup and room breakdown. The hygienist would go next door, just as you and I do. Okay, the doctor, we don't break up and set up our own room because our time might be $100 an hour. Well, and we say, well, the hygienist for 35 bucks an hour is worth it for her. Well, it wasn't worth it. You know, let me get a $10 an hour person, a very entry level assistant, and let the $35 an hour person do what is productive. So I think we're going to see more of that. If anyone can find a $35 an hour hygienist, please send them my way. <laughs> but, but, that, but that makes the point even more relevant. If the hygienist is Absolutely more does. That, then why are we having her is take up any amount of her time setting up and breaking down the room? The more expensive the hygienist is, the more expensive room setup becomes for us. Okay. I, I so completely agree. Is, um, you know, if you think about the cost savings, I can have her see the same number of patients per day. All right. If I give her two rooms and an assistant. Okay, so and now one of my offices, I haven't done that because we just didn't have enough number of chairs. Okay, so that one is, a, um, I bought an existing is office, there was no room for expansion. And so, you know, the others we designed ourselves and put in the right number of chairs is this one. So that one, we don't have how to use two chairs. Um, so I think I see that office, I don't have an option there. She's going to have to get more time. You don't have to give did, you, uh, did you ever end up buying that office up in Dallas that I told you about? I think. I did not buy the one in Dallas, but I did buy one in Phoenix, in Phoenix, Arizona. And that's a 10-chair office and actually has a 30-person classroom as well. So it's as a practice slash training center. Yeah. Very cool. So we have a, another question here. And um, there was one thing I wanted to say with PPE um, that I'm going to bring up after I ask you this one, give you a couple of seconds to think about it. How do you recommend scheduling patients to make it the most efficient and productive? And I, I've got some ideas on that as well. But so far as the PPE goes, I think one of the major changes we're going to see that I didn't bring up and I forgot to is the utilization of either um, wall-mounted, hand-wand, or um, in, in some cases in the larger hospitals, actually like a Roomba-mounted system for UV. Um, there, there are a couple of those robots out right now. They, um, they, they, they're programmed to go in a specific pattern so that they sterilize the entire room. The nice thing about UV and the reason that I believe that UV is going to be the way to go is because 
bacteria and viruses and protozoan even, they don't actually have any kind of mechanism which they can use to become immune to UV like they do with antibiotics uh, or even cleaners. Because uh, those of you who don't know, I, I, my minor was molecular and cellular biology. So I know a great deal about genetics and bacteria. So my thinking is anything that breaks the cysteine bond is going to kill them no matter what. Anything that screws up their DNA is going to kill them. And it actually penetrates water droplets. So that's my call. Um, if you're looking for something to invest in, I'm going to tell you right now, I think it's UV. But, you know, so how do you recommend scheduling patients to make it the most effective and productive, Aaron? Well, you got you to gotta have more time between them, you know, is um, it, the, the main office that I work out of is right next door. It's in a high rise building right next door. There's an ENT guy and super nice guy. I've known him for years. And, uh, you know, I pop over there. I travel a lot when I fly. Sometimes my ears get, you know, is uh, from the going up or going down. I want to go get them checked and make sure there's not wax or something build up in there. Now he's got is mainly is a PPO practice. So he's got a big waiting room, 20 people in there and it's ENT. So then there were colds and sniffles and this is all pre COVID. And even then I would see these 20 people with colds and flus. I'm like, I don't have a cold or flu. I just want to get checked if I got earwax or not. And I would call the reception. I'd check in. I'd say, you know what? I'm going back to my office. Could you please call me when it's my turn? Because right. I don't want to sit around with them. All right. And I thought about that. And I thought, you know, before it was just me being a little OCD about this. Mm -hmm. Now I think a lot of folks are going to be like I was even before pre-COVID. Uh, I agree. They're not going to want to be sitting around in waiting rooms like that. So we're not going to have, you know, waiting rooms of 20 people or 10 people. It might be two people. Okay. Here and there, maybe four people. And um, so, yeah, there will be have to be more gaps, you know, before the practice management folks would train us to put things in as tight as possible to maximize the efficiency, maximize the revenue. And now we'll have to go the opposite of what those guys said and say, you know, what? maybe maximizing revenue is not the main focus right now. Maybe our main focus is doing the best for ourselves, doing the best for our staff, doing the best for our patients and keeping a reasonable time, reasonable time to turn things around. So not bumping all into each other. I'm, I'm going to challenge you on that one slightly. I think we're going in the same direction, though. Um, the reason that my practice got to where it did is because I listened to everything that Bruce Beard said and I, 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 a couple of other guys, too. Everybody who ever talked about scheduling by production, and that is how I've always run my practice, or at least since I, since I got out of PPO. So basically, the idea is you schedule very few patients a day, which is what we need to be doing but you schedule them into productivity slots and you don't schedule the patient unless the productivity hits a certain slot. Gives you great control over your, over your, um, over your schedule. Um, and it also makes sure that you have plenty of time to turn the rooms around between and you're not rushed with each patient. And I think that it, to a greater and greater extent, what's going to happen is that patients are going to want to come in and get all their work done because they've now experienced this dental shortage. And you're going to say, okay, we can do that. And we'll only be there with you and we're not going to be rushing off and we're going to take great care of you. And that's going to help a lot of people to go out of network because once your patients begin to see you as a caring provider, instead of just the guy who rushes in, jabs in the face, leaves the room, comes back and drowns them and, and then takes all their money. I think that you're going to find that you're going to have much better patient interactions. You're going to be more profitable and you're going to have more free time. People ask me all the time, how do, you, how do you have the time to get on Facebook so much and run a group of 21,000 dentists? This is how. Yes, absolutely. Okay, more and more fee-for-service. 
is uh, you do one patient in the morning, one patient in the afternoon, or whatever is, mm -hmm. um, you know, one patient uh, first part of the morning, one patient second part of the morning is, and then you got plenty of time and do is a maximum amount of time. And I'm gonna I'm gonna plug I'm gonna plug Arun here. Go take his implant and PRF courses so that you can produce more per hour. Yes, of course, of course, you gotta produce more per hour. And uh, someone else, uh, Nathan Bloom, is asking: Should a solo dentist consider selling to DPOs or DSOs to get debt free? Um, will there still be a place for the solo practice post COVID? I'm I'm gonna let you handle that one, Aaron. I, I have some very uh, particular leanings myself. Yeah. So it, um, it is, will there be a place for solo practice? I think absolutely is if you're saying, well, you know, will solo dental practices that go, go the way of solo pharmacies um, and they all come under, you know, Walgreens or, or, you know, CVS or something, no, is uh, where they go is this is a, is a different animal. There will be a place for that. I think it would be more like think of not as a pharmacy, but more like a restaurant is, um, will there be chain restaurants? Yes, there will be McDonald's and uh, there will be Burger King. And yet there will be lots of restaurants, lots of mom and pop restaurants and lots of superstar restaurants doing very, very- Absolutely. Not during COVID, but pre and post COVID. Um, look at the haircut business, you know, is yes, there are supercuts and there's the haircuttery and there's other chains like that. And yet there's lots of hair, cut is uh, places you can go to. So Absolutely. I think looking at that model is, uh, is more accurate than looking as a pharmacy where they all got rolled up is, um, and, and then you look at like, like veterinarians haven't got rolled up at all. You know, you look Absolutely. at uh, other industries, uh, plastic surgeons haven't got rolled up at all. You know, there's no really big group out there is, um, is dermatologists haven't got rolled up at all. You know, orthopedic mm -hmm. surgeons haven't. So in some industries you see very little of it like orthopedics or plastic surgery is uh, some you see in pharmacy, all of them. Uh, but I think for us, it'll be more like restaurants and uh, hair cutting places where there'll definitely be those folks. Okay, they're here to stay. There's no way that, uh, you know, Ruth's Chris is going out of business, is obviously. <laughs> okay, that changes. I'll give you a point for that one. Yeah. That, was a, that was a nice little joke sneak okay. in there. Um, but there's no reason that the restaurants in that area are, not, are gonna go out of business either. No. Excellent. And so for my part, um, the first part of the question was, um, Nathan asked, should we consider joining a DSO or a DPO if we are in a lot of debt? And frankly, the answer is yes, you should, you should think about it. But what you should do is you should weigh your options, weigh your business plan, decide if it's the right path for you. And if you do decide you're going to join one, talk to people who have joined that specific DSO or DPO ask them what their experiences have been and, and, and see if it's the kind of culture that you want to be a part of or that you want to bring your team into. You know, a lot of people consider their teams, their family. And recently someone, someone said something really wise about that's probably one of the problems with dentistry uh, because you let your family get away with a lot of shit that you wouldn't let your, your uh, employees get away with. But with that aside, the truth is, is we do consider them our family members. And so think about, is this somewhere I want to bring my family? Now, personally, for me, the answer was yes, but uh, many of you know, I predicted there was going to be a recession, and I, I didn't predict COVID, but boy, was I lucky that I sold when I did, um, and I think a lot of other people, I see Glenn Vo just uh, made a comment right here, and uh, he actually sold at the same time I did. We were kind of in it together, so that's right my peak. take on it. Right at the peak. Okay, that was the time to do it. That was the peak. 
Absolutely. So um, we've got another question here. It says, question, I see you guys are talking about PPO and fee-for-service. However, I have a 75% Medicaid and state insurance uh, practice. Any thoughts? The profits are driven by volume, eight, uh, 10 to 18 per day, rather than fewer patients. Should I just give up on 75% of my practice? I'm going to say, and, and Aaron, please feel free to disagree with me here. Um, I think that of all the models, yours is going to suffer the least and grow the most. Uh, now, reimbursement-wise, I don't want any part of that discussion, but I think you definitely will not be hurting for patients. And um, if you're already set up well as a Medicaid practice, I think that maybe with some streamlining, you could you could do a very good job. Maybe stagger your ops um, for the time being, at least until the scare is done. Um, hygiene in every other op that way you don't have to worry about six feet for um, six feet for aerialization. Um, maybe as Dr. Vila was saying, stagger your your case days where you do hygiene one day and you do only operative the next day. There, I think there are a lot of different ways that you could approach that. But I, I think that if you're set up for that type of world, that type of lifestyle, I'd shoot myself in the face. No, no kidding. Um, but, um, if you are that kind of brave soul who is that giving and you're set up for that type of model, I think you're going to do just fine. Arun, uh, am I, am I smoking crack? No, I think so. Is, um, you, you think know, I, I am, I see a lot of folks, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of folks is, uh, I've seen folks saying, Hey, maybe we could uh, lobby the insurance industry to pay us extra for PPE. And I laugh at that. They're on the business of uh, paying you extra for PPE. <laughs> they got to try to figure out how to squeeze you more. Um, mm -hmm. But the one place you might actually be able to get reimbursement is uh, government types of things. So if you got a Medicaid practice, which is of course a government program, that's where you might be able to say, okay, we need an insurance code for PPE. And that now becomes something billable and that becomes something payable, albeit at their low prices is, um, but that you may be able to. So you might see that uh, happening, you know, okay. Um, so there I would focus on trying to get higher reimbursements based on being able to bill for things like that. Fantastic. Okay. Um, so Dr. Vila has another great question. Ben, you, you've got the greatest questions, man. Um, what are your thoughts on all on X cases? Should we be focusing on snap indentures right now? Offer more flexible finances? By the way, your fair book is amazing. Oh, okay. Thank you very much for the book is a uh, comment is uh, that's on the clinical side of things, how to do the surgery, how to do the prosthetics is as far as, um, as far as is charging for those procedures. No, I don't think uh, you would change your treatment plan on it. I think what you might do is change your fees on it for three months. Okay. Want to give back to the community, want to help out, you know, for May, June, and July or April, May, June, or whatever, you know, whenever we're allowed to, and um, you may want, and, and, and as you know, the nice thing is that's something that has the latitude. Okay. Because you say, well, I don't have any margin on my composites. I can't really adjust my fee, no matter how nice of a guy I want to be for the community. And you don't. Right. But on that, you know, all on four type of thing that we call FAIR, full arch implant rehabilitation, is you get tremendous is uh, margin on that. I mean, for folks that aren't aware, is this one visit for the surgery is uh, and a screwed in temporary prosthesis. It's probably about three visits for the prosthetics, so four do visits of doctor time. Uh, the cost is four implants. You know, these days, implants, 200 bucks a piece is $800. Um, specialized abutments and, and transfer copings and such. Maybe it is uh, another $600. Um, a pre-made denture, a couple hundred dollars. Is, so it's $1,500. And then the final price, so maybe $3,000. So it's about, is four, five, six thousand $6,000 a hard cost. And it's usually going for $25,000. Uh, 
and it says $20,000 for the doctor left over, uh, over four visits, it's $5,000 profit per visit. Um, and I know there's rent and there's other things and staff and et cetera, but, um, but you've got the latitude to say, you know what, we're going to give 25% off. We're going to give 20% off. We're gonna, instead of, well, we used to be charged 25,000 for, for these three months, if you make a decision now and do the financing now, we'll do it for 20,000 in September, right, right. it's going to go back to our normal fee. Okay. Uh, absolutely. And I think there are a lot of people that would be willing to say, you know what? is that some people say, you know what? I bet the guy's going to keep that lower fee in September. Some people say, you know, I'm not taking that chance. If I can save 5,000 bucks, I'll do it. I, I actually, I do, I do a perennial like that. Um, my birthday is in January and um, I, I just make an announcement. Dr. Huffpower, I'd love to see the whole world smiling. If uh, you feel like you can't smile because you, your dentures fall out or you need new implant retained dentures, Dr. Huffpower is giving you a gift for his birthday for the month of January, X percent off. And it works out really well. Um, you get some pinup um, demand, but that pinup demand always comes through in January, which let's face it, sucks. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, if I could figure out something for October and September, I'd be really jazzed, you know? So um, we have a, another question and it is, what do you suggest in regards to south, uh, staff salary management during the interim until the schedule turns back to normal? Um, I'm not quite sure I'm, I'm following. You're saying, so if I'm closed now, let's say, and uh, because of different scenarios, some people are seeing emergencies, about half are seeing emergencies, some are not even seeing emergencies. So let's take the ones that are not seeing even emergencies, just sitting at home. So you're sitting at home, you got a staff member that used to make a, 20 bucks an hour is what do you pay them? Well, I mean, 20 times zero. Okay, zero hours in the office, it's 20 times zero. Okay. Right. Um, and then if you say, well, if we're allowed May 15, I'm going to start back by not five days a week, I'm going to start back two days a week. And so we're going to work six hour days, not eight. I'm going to work 12 hours when well, it's 12 times 20. I mean, it's absolutely. Okay. And then when it gets to three days a week, it will be, you know, 20 hours time. And, and my feeling is that the, the extension of these unemployment programs is going to go on for quite some time. Um, you know, whether you believe that this is going to be an immediate bounce back or you believe there's going to be a dead cat bounce, or if you believe that there's going to be uh, just a prolonged recession or even a depression, uh, no matter what, the entire country, as Arun was saying earlier, we're all in this together. And so what affects one of us is going to affect us all, which means there will be government programs that get extended, uh, just like there were for Harvey and, and Katrina, and they'll probably be as poorly managed. But, <laughs> you know, if your employees can go on partial unemployment, uh, that's probably a, um, probably a good idea. Okay. This is a fantastic question. Let me see here. Um, what do you guys think? Uh, how should startup practices proceed post-COVID? And yeah, Jenny Apakin, I, I agree. Um, you should only sell if that is the right fit for you. So, um, Aaron, what are your thoughts about practice startups post-COVID? So this is a practice that started, that was scheduled to start in April, or scheduled to start in September. I, I, I believe that they're asking what do you think um, practice startups are going to be like? Like let's, let's say brand new practice startups, you just graduated dental school, you graduate post COVID. Right. 
what is the startup process going to look like? Oh, I think it's going to be very similar. You know, I, I would uh, agree. Yeah. Starting a new practice was always a little bit scary and is always a little financial risk is, but you know, um, it, when you get your loans, you get the loan for the practice and you get a working loan, working capital loan for the first six months or first year, because no one expects you to start turning a profit right away. You may not need it, but it's better to have that cushion. And so you have that cushion is, um, but you know, what happens is, is when times are good, the top guys that have great clinical skills and great communication skills and great thought process, of course, they've been fantastic. But even the mediocre guys that have kind of medium skills and medium communication ability and, and medium is, um, is thought process, they're even doing fine. And even though guys that don't have such good clinical skills and not good communication skills and not good thought process, even they're surviving, okay? When times get tough, that third group is done, okay? Is Warren Buffett, probably the, the richest guy on the planet or certainly one of the top two or three richest guys on the planet, uh, certainly the best investor ever, is in the planet. Um, his saying is, um, you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out, or you can see who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. Yeah, okay? absolutely. And what that means is basically is uh, it's during the tough times you see who had those. Um, so if you say, well, I have a good thought process and I got good communication skills and I got good clinical skills, then your survival skills and doing well skills in a startup are the same as they were before. Numbers might be lower. When people used to talk, ah, a million, a million, a million, they won't talk those numbers anymore. But you know what? Right. 10 years ago, we didn't talk that way. 20 years ago. Now, you know, 20 years ago, it was how to have a $100,000 dental practice. Yeah, you know, is when I first when I was first out, there was maybe one guy in the country that million a year. I mean, that was like, huh, what? Is he making up the numbers like that? And now it's like, ah, a million, a million, a million. You'll be a million. Oh, gosh, I can't. I can't remember his name. He's the guy who does all the veneers out for the Hollywood stars. What was his name? Bill Dickerson. Yeah, it's Bill Dickerson. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But but so now what happens is if all the million we drop to eight hundred thousand, we're all in it together. Okay. Right. So the number the startup practice started three years ago might be doing five hundred thousand. You start you're going to do four hundred thousand, but your expenses will be proportionately is lower or should be, and you should be looking and, for that. Um, and and, and build out. Just like you're hungry, the build out, the builder's gonna be hungrier. The same build out that he might've given you a, a um, estimate of 350,000 for, you know, six months ago. Now I say, you know what? And he said, mm, I can afford 250,000. Nope, nope, mm -hmm. nope. You know what? Now, remember that $250,000 offer you made for the build out? I'm ready to take it. Okay. Yep. So is, uh, is, I think you're gonna do fine. Now, if you're in that third category, poor clinical skills, pure, then you will be lost in this current climate. No, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I wanted to make a joke there, but some of my friends would get mad about where they could go work, but I can do that. I get, I get, I get lots and lots of nasty messages whenever I make a joke like that. So um, he says that he's going to be starting up in April, which I have to say, I feel for you. It's going to be a very, very tough time, um, okay. but you know, hammer Tomorrow? through it. Tomorrow is opening up. Okay. Evidently. Yeah. Is um, what I would do right now is market aggressively. Okay. For emergencies. Okay. Is uh, obviously, you know, I don't know what state you're in and some states might be open for elective or, or near opening and some may not be. Um, but um, for emergencies, most of the states are open and I would market aggressively for emergencies and get those emergencies in. 
And because half the doctors are not seeing emergencies, about half are, but about half are not. And um, is for those half that aren't, they're patients that need somewhere to go. And if they have a true emergency is, uh, and I'm not talking about wink, wink, I, taking patients. I'm not talking about a patient that's been going to another doctor for eight years and got a little chip on number eight and you, you grab mm -hmm. them and say, I'll do your, because to me, it's an emergency, wink, wink. No, no, no. We're talking about legitimate emergency. The guy's got a tooth that's blown up. It's hot. It's in the socket. He can't chew because if he chews that one tooth that's super erupted, okay? And if you've never had that happen before, believe me, okay? I was in Hawaii at a lecture. A tooth fracture, got a vertical fracture. I'm like, fine. I get, to, by the time I'm on my way to the airport, I was flying from there to Frankfurt, Germany, to go there for a week, is it raised up. And all of a sudden, I couldn't eat on any side of my mouth because mm -hmm. uh, I was going to be on liquid diet for a week. Is, and I would have done anything. I would have paid anybody. In fact, I did. Is, uh, I changed my flight to go Hawaii, San Francisco, San Francisco, Germany, and uh, met up with a buddy of mine, went to his mm -hmm. office, and got a pulpotomy done and you know, a close all collaboration done. Um, so real emergencies, um, get those folks in. Okay, It's a real help. We're not stealing anyone's patient is this win, win, win for you, win for them, is, um, is, is I would focus on that, okay? Get them in. Absolutely, I completely agree. I, I, I'll tell you, just, I don't know what your age as a clinician is. Uh, the, the longer you've been practicing and the more you practice as a, as a, as a comprehensive dentist, uh, the more quickly you'll recognize issues in a patient's mouth. I'm not saying to go ahead and do a full comprehensive exam on each one of those patients, but I like to tell my patients, Hey, if you don't mind, I'm going to look around at everything else before I look at the tooth that I know is hurting you because I want to make sure that we can spot any issues that may be coming up because let's face it. We never want to meet like this again. And the patient goes, yeah, sure. Hey, look, this tooth right here has got a fracture. It's going to break. We need to make sure we get you scheduled for that as soon as we're able to do comprehensive treatment. Um, and if it happens before then, I'll make sure I rush in to take care of you. But it's in their mind and they're thinking about it the entire time that they can't get what they want. Usually they don't want dental treatment, but whenever people are kept from having something, all of a sudden they want it. And I think you're going to find that there's going to be an explosion of demand as soon as that we're out of this. I can what tell you thoughts on that. You know, I have a lot of colleagues, dental colleagues, and a lot of alumni and such, and they're all my favorites. I mean, I love is... Uh, I love my profession, I love my colleagues, I love my alumni, is after that appointment in San Francisco, I had a new favorite dentist, the guy who took me out of pain. Absolutely. <laughs> that was my new all-time favorite, all right, I can tell you. And I laughed about it, and using my own experience, I came back and I told all of my associates, I said, you know what, anybody's ever in pain, you get them in that day. I can tell you from personal experience, Absolutely. they will be grateful for life because I was grateful for life, okay? Even being a professional, the consumers, okay, get them in. Okay, take care of them. So we have a question here. Uh, that's not something that we're really going to cover, um, but um, they're asking it, so I'll ask you. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the IDIA, um, Mastership and Diplomate, et cetera? I think that, um, I think that probably we don't want to go too deeply into that because it'll get very clinical very quickly. Yeah. Um, but I would say that there's a very definite business argument um, even if you use the argument, more letters don't mean more knowledge, they do in patients' minds. Talk to us a little bit about the mastership. Talk to us about the diplomate. 
Um, I am assuming this is the Indian Dental Implant Association. No, it is, and, and I really, I, I, I won't talk about it other than just to kind of clarify it, okay? Okay. Because honestly, I'm here is to talk about business and talk about this is, I don't want this in any way, shape, or form to be um, about me or an infomercial for any of my, you know, businesses, endeavors, or anything, and um, is, is, so I appreciate the comments along those. I'm happy to talk to folks one-on-one -on -one about it, is, uh, you know, I have no place to go but talk to people, so <laughs> right. um, I've got nothing else on my schedule. Um, it's the International Dental Implant Association, and uh, it was founded 10 years ago, is up to 4,000 members, and um, is not the largest dental implant association in the world, it is the uh, second largest, okay? Um, it is the fastest growing by far, so the fastest growing by far, and the second largest in terms of size, and has four symposiums a year, it is all over the country, and has a program where you can earn a fellowship, a mastership, and a diplomat based on number of cases, based on written examination, based on oral examination at each stage. And um, I'm happy to talk to folks is, uh, is separately on that. Uh, the website, just international dental implant association.com is a big long name. You but, know, uh, actually, I think that would make a, a really good, um, I think it would be a great podcast episode, just having some people on who are diplomates from different societies and just talking about that. I am going to ask you one question, if you don't mind answering it. Is that diplomate um, legitimate uh, so far as the um, specialty recommendations of non-ADA specialties here in the United States? Yeah. Is, um, it is legitimate to use a diplomat status. You've got the written exam, you've got the is oral exam. In terms of recognized specialties, what most of us grew up with was things like periodontics mm -hmm. and right. surgery and orthodontics is, and such. And then for, for several decades, the ADA didn't recognize any new specialties. And then right. lately, they recognize a ton of new specialties. Um, is oral maxillofacial radiology, a three-year full-time residency program has been recognized mm -hmm. as a specialty. Um, recently, several others got recognized as specialties. I didn't even keep track. Um, kind of niche, very small niches, but uh, is I think uh, facial pain and TMJ is therapy recently got recognized as a specialty. And so dental anesthesiology. Yes. Okay. Dental anesthesiology got recently recognized as a specialty. Um, dental implantology hasn't, and I don't think it ever will because mm -hmm. there's too many crossovers is uh, with perio and pros and even endo and oral surgery. And is uh, so that probably never will be because it just, there's too much politics involved. But as far as marketing it for your practice, marketing with your name and marketing as, as initials, absolutely, you can do that legally. Excellent. Well, here in the state of Texas, um, if you have a diplomate, I know the ABOI, if you have a, a ABOI diplomate, you can advertise as a specialist in, in, in implantology. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, doesn't Lola Melinda have a, a specialty program there for that? A number do. You know, I used to do it when I was at University of Miami, we used to do a two-year full-time specialty program in it, as Lola Melinda did and still does. Is uh, I think in New York they still do, and they take about 100 people a year for it. And so mm -hmm. there's, there's a number of training programs. Yeah. All right. Well, so folks, there's your answer. Uh, let's see here. Uh, final presentation. Finally, a presentation that's not doom and gloom. There you go. Um, any temporary pay cutoff to staff? What is the recommended percentage? Man, that's going to be based. I'm pretty sure we just covered that. Well, let's um, talk about the that. number. Let's talk about that. Okay. That's okay. About, okay. And um, you know. No, there's nothing, no doom and gloom until now, maybe a little doom and gloom. I'll tell you what I did, and you know, whether it works for me or not. There were people that I just hadn't gotten around to letting go, you know? <laughs> and um, 
is like, I've been thinking about it and thinking about it and they're like, family, I don't want to. And you know, I get busy and I use that as an excuse, et cetera. Well, I can tell you not everybody's getting hired back. Yep. Uh, I can tell you not everybody's getting hired back. Okay. So um, my payroll costs will go down. Okay. Because the people I've been thinking of, thinking of, thinking of, you know what is, uh, I didn't have to fire them. They're just not being invited back. <laughs> Absolutely. Is, um, I wanted to tell you, I was so excited about your new opportunity. What, what, what new opportunity, Dr. Gork? The one somewhere else. <laughs> I know I'm a mean guy. I, I actually enjoy firing people. And like a lot of people, I really, really enjoy it because at the time I fire someone, I've already documented so much shit that I'm thinking about it all the time. And I'm like, are you going to do that thing again? Jeez, they did it again. And I'm just waiting for a, the right number right up so I can fire them without having to worry about getting unemployment claims. So by the time I come around to firing somebody, they so deserve it. It's just, I know I'm going to come to work the next day, like singing hosannas. It's going to be amazing. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> the second part of it is I think this is what the question may have alluded to. There may be some folks that uh, you need to hire in a new capacity to add a new salary as well. So some people may not be invited back and some people you may need to reassess and you may need to say, you know what is um, this salary level is not appropriate. The position level isn't appropriate. And I'd like to hire you back at this salary level. And Absolutely. Uh, you may need to do that with some folks. And I think that that's a, an entirely appropriate thing to do as well. Um, there were a couple of questions earlier and I was really hoping that um, someone was going to, um, someone was going to bring this up. But they said, should you hire all your people back at lower salaries? And, and the, 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 the honest truth is, God's honest truth is, we were in the single lowest unemployment period in history since 1969. All right. That means that wages were at their absolute maximum that they're going to be because that's the effect of low unemployment. For those of you who don't study economics, that's the effect. It's a natural effect. So when you have higher unemployment, it's absolutely appropriate to normalize those salaries and that pay rate. Uh, if, and if you, if you want to speak to that too, thoughts and protocols, uh, you're getting a call. No, no. Okay. So what are your thoughts on that? Normalizing? Um, yeah, I think we just had it, but absolutely. You know, if uh, there's some people that you need to adjust, and then, so I think there's gonna be three categories. Some people that don't get invited back, uh, some people who need an adjustment in their salary, and there's some people you may not adjust. You may keep it the way it was. So you, you have three different categories. We have somebody who just asked a great question. What are your thoughts on, uh, what are your thoughts and what protocols do you use um, so far as teledentistry goes? And specifically for me, how in Texas do you use it without crossing uh, Pairs with the TSBDE, and I'll tell you, you don't, and you don't, you don't get paid for it, or you will be in trouble because they have specifically said no teledentistry. Um, but if you think about it, anytime someone calls in and you're not in the office, and your team member says, "Dr. Huffpower, Miss Susan Smith, she's got a toothache, and she needs you to send some antibiotics," and you do that, you've just done teledentistry. So I think that there, there are some things that you can get away with, some things you don't. I hate to say get away with, but I think sometimes some things are going to be considered to be all right exclusions to teledentistry, and that's one of them. But I don't believe that you're going to be able to actually do treatment plans. Now, you may look at photographs and you may say, you know what? 
I think you're a great case for orthodontics. Come on in, we'll look at you. Or you know what? I think I can fix those teeth that you have missing with some implants. Why don't you come in and let us take some x-rays and let me do an exam? I think that's appropriate. And that is actually a really good idea. Dr. Gorg? Is, uh, I, you know, I think we've always done teledentistry. Okay. Right. We just didn't call it that. We just didn't try to figure out codes and try to bill for it. You know, we've taken phone calls from folks. We might've taken FaceTime calls and as we called them back, I mean, that's what teledentistry would have been as we just didn't think to charge for it. It was included, you know, as uh, I think this is just a way for people to try to figure out a way to get paid for what we've always done. Absolutely. I don't think it's going to go anywhere in terms of trying to get paid. You know, we're, we're surgeons. Okay. Um, we could work at a different business. I mean, you could say, well, can I get legal advice is, uh, over this? Maybe you could. Can I get accounting advice? Maybe you could. Absolutely. Um, could I get a webinar? Maybe you could. Okay. Uh, there are certain industries where is that would be appropriate for, but for a guy who's a certain guy who works with the hands, you know, it's construction. I like to do teleconstruction. <laughs> I was going to say exactly the same yeah, thing. You know, I'd like to do tele-restaurants. Right? It doesn't work like that. Right. And so in our industry, is it just... Sir, <laughs> uh, so. so, I hope everyone enjoyed the souffle. You're you feeling full? <laughs> I don't know. Stop licking your screen. So um, Jennifer uh, Marin Crystal, uh, the UV robot that I mentioned is put out by uvd-robots.com i'm gonna say it's probably too expensive for a for a dentist office but i could be wrong you know um you can you can go to their website again that's uvd-robots.com i have no financial interest it's just something really cool i saw as i was researching what the hell we're going to do after covid okay um it looks like that may be the end of our questions. Guys, uh, we're going to chat a little bit more just about some normal BS. And um, you guys go ahead and pop on any questions that you have. We're going to give this thing another two or three minutes. And if we don't get any great questions, we're going to go ahead and shut it down. And then, uh, oh, Jennifer, I didn't make, mean to make you sad. Don't, don't frown like that. Um, then we'll, we'll, we'll discuss maybe doing a podcast uh, sometime in the near future and, and get some of your questions that you'd like to ask as well. So everyone, we've been talking about COVID this whole time, right? We've been talking about what are you going to do whenever um, we come out of all this and um, what are we going to do to open our practices and how are we going to deal with the fact that the sky is falling? I'm going to ask you a very pointed question. I want an answer because this is not a commercial, but I'm inviting you to, to answer. When do you think your next, um, your next implant continuum is going to be, um, your tr next travel one? My, my timeline is this, and, and things can change on a daily basis, as you know, right. you know okay? is our timeline is this for our employees, for the seminar side, we're planning to head back is, um, to, to the office and functional May 1, okay, is um, for my clinics, is uh, I've spoken to the clinic team, and we're planning to, to do more and more is May 15. And again, that may change, and we may not be open for elected by then, you know, but that's our plan. And then for uh, seminars where I travel to different cities and such, by June 1, okay. So that's our timeline, and uh, it may get shifted. I mean, you never know, but May 1 for office things, May 15 for clinical things, and June 1 for is uh, on-site is, but it's live patient lecture is that's our timeline for now. 
All right, fantastic. A um, couple of questions did pop up. Um, are you planning on changing gowns, head caps, shoe covers, et cetera, between patients when we open? And another, can we see two patients at a time? Uh, to my knowledge, there's no recommendation so far as seeing two patients at the same time. Um, there also has always been a recommendation to change your gowns and your head caps. And good Lord, if you're wearing shoe covers, you're going to die because those things are slippery. I bust my ass in them every single time I wear them, so I don't wear them. But um, I'd, I'd, I'd honestly almost rather one of the foot dip pans uh, that you see in, um, you know, in, in real sterilization environments. But what are, you, what are your thoughts on that, Aaron? Am, am I smoking something here or should you be changing them every patient? You know, I think what's going to happen is it will become a mute issue because I don't think you're going to do a lot of side books and et cetera. Initially, when we first come out of this, is, um, you know, it, the way we're planning it is, is May 15 to do more and more is other than just emergencies right now is to add a day to the schedule okay we're not coming back 40 hours a week is right out of the bat right. and so if we're coming back an extra day a week okay you know right now we're just going up for emergencies and one full day is each of my office open at least one full day and um there's no reason to put the patients in that tight if we're there for the whole day um and then we go to two full days again no reason to put them in that tight then three full days no reason so i think while this is going on there's no reason to put them in. And then when we're full schedule, then we won't have these worries. We're going to go back to the way things were. So Absolutely. while we have this concern, we don't need to pack the patients in that tight. When we have the demand to pack patients in that tight, by then this will be gone, vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. There's immunities, et cetera. Absolutely. Well, folks, uh, thank you again for joining us and you know, spending 45 minutes of your precious time listening to the sound of my stupid voice and, uh, and the words of wisdom that Arun had to, um, to pass out today. I, I think to sum things up, remember, no matter how different our realities are, our fears and our concerns are the same. And if you take a cautious, measured approach, take a deep breath and think, you're going to be just fine. Arun, thank you as always for coming. And do you have any parting words before we, uh, before we shut this thing off? Good. Okay. We're all coming out of this together. Absolutely. Yes. Thanks again, man. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.